And uh, I hope that it's, it's been a benefit to you. And today, we're going to be talking about baptism and its purpose, and specifically baptism for the remission of sins. Let's turn to uh, a couple of places I want to take my text from. The first is in Luke chapter 24 in verse 47. And then secondly, we'll be going to a very familiar passage of, to you. I hope it is at least Acts 2.38 from Luke 24 and 47. Jesus said in that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then from Acts 2 and 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this verse, Acts 2.38, has, has caused a, a lot of theologians to have to look into it and try and determine, you know, because in their mindset, their theology would teach that baptism is achieved at repentance. So, so their mindset is, well, this scripture seems to teach that baptism is for or leading to the remission of sins. So what many have tried to do is they've tried to take this verse and they've tried to make remission of sins be before baptism. So this word for in the Greek uh, has been the subject of much, much debate, okay? But it shouldn't be the subject of much debate because for means for in this context and it means baptism is for or leading to the remission of sins. So their mindset, though, is that remission of sins is achieved and then it's baptism. But, of course, that's not really scripture, correct? It doesn't, it doesn't agree with the whole testimony of scripture. So what we try to do is we try to take not just one verse, but we try to look at the whole Bible. And, uh, and, and because I, I believe, as I know you do, that the Bible should fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And so whenever, whenever you take one piece of that puzzle, well, it's true that you have the puzzle, but you don't have the whole puzzle. You have one piece of it. So you want to look at the whole testimony of Scripture. But it's interesting that the early church preached, taught, and believed that the only way to get remission of sins was in the waters of baptism. There was no other way. As a matter of fact, historically, for several hundred years, uh, after, after the first century, after the apostles died off, that's the way it was. Um, you can read from, you know, they're called the church fathers, and by church fathers, you know, the church began to be called the, you know, the great Catholic church. Catholic just means universal, and it was in probably late into the second century, somebody used that term, second or third century. And in that context, what we know now as the Catholic church wasn't really formulated yet, so what they meant was the Christian universal church. So up, up through the second century, you can read the writings of various church fathers, and by church fathers, we mean those who, 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 who wrote in the second century. That's what they're called, church fathers. Second and third and fourth centuries. And you can read in their writings, and it's, it's interesting that every single verse in the entire New Testament is quoted in their writings. And it, it, is, it is absolutely quoted. And so they, they were, they, I, I think that they were really trying to... Uh, to be true to what the apostles taught. But, of course, there was a lot of heresy that was introduced. But you could, I could literally talk to you for two hours, which obviously I don't have two hours, but I could literally talk to you for two hours and give you a whole lesson and read you, like, sentence after sentence and volumes of, and volumes of information on what they said in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century about the purpose of baptism. Of course, now it's changed in Christianity as a whole, but here, here are some things 
um, that, that the church fathers would have, would have said. There was a man by the name of Tertullian who wrote an apology. His apology was called On Baptism. The very first opening sentence of that book or apology was this. Happy is our sacrament of water in that by washing away the sins of the early blindness, of our early blindness, we are set free and admitted into eternal life. He'd go on to say this later in his apology. Without baptism, salvation is attainable by none. There's another book called The Shepherd of Hermits who said this. I have heard, sir, said I to the shepherd from some teacher that there is no other repentance except that which took place when we went down into the water and obtained the remission of our former sins. He said to me, you have heard rightly, for so it is. And so that's just a, a couple of, of high-level points of what they thought, even leading into the second century. There was really nobody that, that, that wrote, that I found at least historically, that were up until probably close to the Reformation time, 14, 13, 14, 1500th century, where, where, where they began to say that baptism is not really part of God's plan for salvation. So for essentially for 14 or 1500 years, this is the way it was in Christianity. And then it changed. Now what changed? Well, the Reformation changed. And change had to happen. Change needed to happen because Christianity had had as a whole, not just Christianity, but it was known as the medieval times. Christianity, you know, was pretty much the Catholic Church. There was an underground church, an underground movement. You can find evidences of that all throughout historical, uh, you know, in various historical documents. Um, but for about a thousand years, you know, the Catholic popes took, the, and not just the popes, the priests, the monks, took the Bible out of the hands of the parishioners and said, you're too uneducated. They were called laity, which means uneducated, ignorant, lazy. You know, we're the ones... You know that will that will tell you what the scripture says. So if you were caught with a copy of the scriptures, you would be burned at the stake, as John Huss was, and, and who was a oneness theologian who was burned at the stake in 141580 about that time, and uh, and and John Wycliffe, his crime was translating the Bible into the English language, and he was burned at the stake for that, into the language of co of the commoners, the laity, and so so Christianity needed change. They, it needed reformation. So a monk from the name of Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 theses against the Roman Catholic Church to the castle doors in Wittenberg, Germany. And that started the reformation. And they began to sing, a mighty fortress is our God. And that was their battle cry. Um, so they came out of that and he saw justification by faith. That, that salvation is not attainable just by the works. You know, by, by doing things. Because that's what the Catholic Church taught for years. You know, if you if you do this, if you do that, you know, then and you obey all the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, you'll be saved. And that's what they taught. But Martin Luther saw that justification was achieved by faith. And as a result, then infants could not get baptized, for example, or should not get baptized. And so, so it needed change. And Martin Luther saw that. But in the process of them seeing that, they called everything that we do as works. So if you repent, that's a work. If you're baptized, that's a work. If you receive the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, they would say speaking in tongues is a work. Even though it's not our work, tongues is a work or operation of the Spirit. It's not something that we can learn how to do. So there was a misunderstanding, as there still is in Christianity, about what it means when Paul said we're not saved by works. He was talking about the works of the law of Moses. Because Christianity in the first century was coming out of that. 
and Paul was writing to them, and he was saying, don't go back to teaching the law of Moses. And so, so this is where it was at. Um, and so, so the early church taught that baptism was for the remission of sins. And now we understand that, but I want to try and prove this scripturally. There, so these verses that I read in my text really ought to put the whole argument to rest. Jesus said that remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? Remission of sins, should, remiss, <laughs> remission of sins had to be preached. How? In his name. And when Peter stood up in the day of Pentecost, what did he say? When, whenever they said, what, what shall we do to be saved? He said, you got to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That ought to put the whole argument to rest right there. Um, but tradition is the greatest obstacle to revelation. And if you hold fast to your tradition and you don't open your mind to truth and to the Spirit of God, then you will stay steeped in something that is not, or that is, that is very traditional, but is not revelation Christianity. Now, when we go back to the law of Moses, there was a kind of forgiveness of sins. Um, so remission of sins was something that the Old Testament actually taught as well. Let's look back to Leviticus 4 and verse 31, where it says, And he shall take away the fat thereof, as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So here's the word atonement and forgiveness. Uh, so atonement, of course, as you probably know, just means covering. So in various types of sacrifices, there, there was contained in the law of Moses the idea of an atonement or a covering for your sins. However, that covering was not a very good covering. It was a temporary covering. It was a covering by the blood of an animal. And by initiating blood in the sacrifices for atonement seekers, the law pointed to its necessity in salvation and to a better sacrifice that was yet to come. So the law spoke of it and it taught that if you are going to have your sins remitted, you can't just simply confess what you've done, but there has to be blood shed for that, for that sin. So that was what the law taught. Now when you get to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we get a better and more clear picture of, of how or what type of forgiveness or atonement the law achieved. From Hebrews 10 and verse 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continue to make the comer thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In short, what he's saying in these three verses is that those sacrifices did not make the comer perfect. Because if it had, then they would not have had to continue to offer those same sacrifices year after year after year after year after year. It would have stopped. One sacrifice would have been sufficient for everything. But there was a remembrance made of their sins every year. As I, I've used this illustration before, think of it like a credit card. If you owe $20,000 in your credit card, have it help you. You need to attend like a, what is that, David Ramsey seminar or something. Pay off your debt, okay? 
but heaven forbid you owe that much. And, and all you're doing is paying the minimum. What's happening? You're not getting your debt paid off. You're, you know, you're just giving money to the credit card and, and, and credit card company. And come next month, you know, you've appeased them for a month. But guess what? Next month, there is a remembrance made of that debt. <laughs> That's kind of what it was under the law of Moses. There was nothing that ever paid the debt in full. Sin's account was never paid in full because it could not be paid in full. It was like a patch. It was something to last until, until Christ would come and he would die on the cross. And that's when sin's account was paid in full. So John the Baptist came baptizing, and the Bible even says this, that it was for the remission of sins. So he baptized for the remission of sins as well, but so here we see we have the first usage in the Bible of the word remission. Remission is never used in anywhere in the King James Bible up until the time that it's used by John the Baptist or of John the Baptist. So the, the, the concept of remission is the idea of paid in full. Your account has been remitted, it has been, you are justified, and it's not, you know, you're good until the next year. And, and God's going to keep blessing you, you know, in spite of the fact that there's no full sacrifice that will make you perfect. But, but the idea of remission is your account is paid in full. However, it looked forward, John's baptism looked forward in the same way that the Old Testament sacrifices did to what Christ would do on the cross. Amen. And so their sins were, were their sins fully remitted only to the same extent that they had under the law of Moses. That baptism looked forward to Calvary in the same way that animal sacrifices did under the law of Moses. And we know that because if you know your Bible, in Acts 19, Paul came to Ephesus and found disciples of John the Baptist. And he said that they had to be baptized in Jesus' name, even though they had already been baptized by John the Baptist. And, and, and so you can read that passage if you'd like. But water is the vehicle that God chose to use to get sin's account paid in full. All the way back to the beginning, we learned this from our pastor last week, from Genesis 1 and verses 1 and 2. says this, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In the very beginning, even before there was a sun, a moon, or any stars, there was an unformed earth, and there was water. On that earth, probably in the form of ice, since obviously there is no sun, so there was uh, probably no heat. And when God said, let there be light, that was, what, three or four days before the sun was created. The light came from himself. He is the source of all light, not the sun. And in the end, billions of years from now, if the sun burns out, when we get to heaven, the lamb is the light thereof. Amen. The same light as there was in the beginning is going to be the same light in the end. The Lamb of God is that light. We're going to see Jesus sitting on the throne with all the fullness of God emanating from him. And he is that light. He is the light of the world. He is the source of all light. Amen. So it's interesting that, you know, you know if you believe modern science, and you, you, know, you might believe that the earth was created last or at some other later point in time. But according to the Bible, the earth was the first thing that God created in our solar system. Before a sun, before a moon, before the stars, God created this unformed earth and it sat there and water was on it. The Bible never says, to, as far as I can find, that God created water. It was just there. 
Now, he probably obviously did create it, but I find it interesting that it, the Bible doesn't actually say that he created it. God created the firmament by dividing the waters. He created dry land by separating the waters. The waters were also the first to receive life on the fifth day. That is after heaven and earth were created. Look at Genesis 1 and verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moved which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let them and let fowl multiply in the earth. It was after this, on the sixth day, that God created the beasts on the dry land. So the first life sprung forth from the waters, not the land, on the fifth day. And is it any wonder that new life still comes from the water? New life still comes from the water. And the, when you get, when you fast forward several hundred years and you get to the law of Moses, the law of Moses added an ingredient to water for the cleansing of sin specifically. So water alone was not sufficient. But there was another ingredient, and this is found in Hebrews 9 and verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood, everybody say blood, of calves and of goats with what? water. And scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. So when the law was put into force and enacted, when it was signed in blood as it were and sealed this was the ceremony Moses performed. It was a mixture of water and blood that the people were sprinkled with. Not only the people, but the tabernacle itself to sanctify it. Not just the tabernacle, but the very book that Moses himself read from. Uh, you know, the law, the Pentateuch, the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, etc. You know, so, so, the, so that very book was sprinkled with a mixture of blood and water. When you get to the purification ceremony... For sin, or sorry, for leprosy, which is a type of sin in Scripture, in Leviticus 14, it spells out that water and blood were also used for that purification process of leprosy. It wasn't enough for you just to be clean of your leprosy. You had to go to the priest, and the priest had to go to your house and sprinkle it with blood and water, and sprinkle you with blood and water. And in the New Testament, water is still mixed with blood. But not the blood of a goat or a lamb, but the blood of a spotless lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And when you go down in that water, it's not just the water, but it's your faith in that sacrifice that that blood, that, that, makes, that, that gives that blood its efficacy for the forgiveness and remission of sins. This is why Jesus could say in Luke 24 and 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem because remission of sins comes by the application of the blood of Jesus in the waters of baptism. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. When Paul said that, 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 it, that you have been crucified with him, 
who is crucified? If you're, if you're not of the oneness persuasion, if you are of the Trinitarian persuasion, let me ask you this rhetorically. Was it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit that was crucified? wasn't the Father, wasn't the Spirit, it was, you would say, the Son of God. So when Paul said, we are crucified with him, who does him refer to? Christ. So should we not baptize in his name? You don't do anything else before you go out of this place. You, you should really think about getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's where all of your sins are remitted. Praise God. It's where you get what he did on Calvary. And even Paul himself uh, had to get baptized in Jesus' name. Look at Acts 22 and 16. This is Ananias talking to Paul. He said, and now, why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling on the name. Of the Lord. When Paul talked about whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans 10, verses 9 through about 12 or 13, he wasn't talking about coming out to a Billy Graham crusade, lifting your hands and repeating the sinner's prayer and calling on Jesus. He meant you go down in that water and you call on the name of Jesus to take away your sins. Amen. Amen. And, and then look at 1 Peter 3. In verse 20, where he said, Would sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few that is eight souls were saved. How? By water. The like figure wherein to even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So reaching back to in Noah's day, what saved them? It was water. You might argue, well, the ark saved them. And you would be partially right. But saved them from what? Because the ark saved them from the judgment of God. But the water saved them from that wicked generation, which was literally washed away by water. Thus, Noah was saved by the influence of an entire generation and given a new beginning in the water. Hallelujah. And that's why the Apostle Peter could say baptism does also now save us. Naaman went to, went to the prophet of God, you know, wanting to receive healing for his leprosy. And the prophet said what? Go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean from your leprosy. I thank God that there is a Jordan River that is filled with blood. Amen. There, there is a fountain filled with blood today that flows from our Savior's veins. And you get what he did when you go down in that water in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet today. In, in last in conclusion, I just want to read this. Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ, have put on what? Christ. Just as Adam and Eve put on animal skins, a blood covering, so we put on Christ's sacrifice in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's lift our hands today. I want to thank God for that blood. I want to thank God for that name because when I say the name, I've got the blood. Hallelujah. Come on, let your voices out for a moment here today.